Well, good morning, church. Very excited to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Steve. Um, I'm one of the pastoral residents within our collective of churches. I have gotten to know quite a few of you over the last year, uh, serving as the student pastor here at the Story, which has been an absolute amazing blessing. We were joking beforehand about, you know, he said, you know, I'm going to give you five minutes to preach. And I said, that's about what I typically get with students. So they said, throw things at me. I said, sure, that'll make me feel at home. <laughs> Ask me weird questions, um, whatever, you know, I'll be right at home. So, um, but really excited to be here with you guys. Uh, Pastor Kyle, who I've had an amazing time getting to work with and getting to know, um, gets to be on a little bit of a study break. So last week he got one of my fellow residents and Jess South, and she did an amazing job sharing God's word with you, and now it's my turn, and I'm truly blessed to be able to do that with you guys today. Um, we're continuing in our series with the parables. Um, Jesus was an amazing storyteller. It's one of the things that I absolutely love about Jesus, and so to be able to study and get to dive into one of his parables to prepare for this message has been absolutely awesome. Um, over the last couple years, I you know, discovered a new sport for me. It's something that was part of my past, um, but I kind of, you know, would go to some different stuff and kind of knew about it, um, but I hadn't really followed it. And so a couple, or a little over two years ago, I was at my parents' house, and my dad was watching the F1 race. It had happened that morning while he was at church, so he had recorded it, and he was watching it. And so we typically would will have lunch together as a family, um, my family, my parents, my brother, and his family. And so we were watching the race, and so I'm sitting there in the living room, and it's like, this is what's on. I guess I'll kind of watch. And my dad and my brother are huge fans. Um, so we're watching it, and so I kind of, you know, first it's like, okay, cool, the car goes fast. That's neat. Um, and I remember watching like NASCAR back in the day with one of my friend's dads. And it was kind of like, okay, it's a race and nobody cares until somebody crashes into something. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this was a little different. And so certain things started happening. Um, and so I started asking questions, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Look, the, the back of the wing opens, what's going on there? Um, you know, my brother, Jason, I'm like, what's that about? Well, that's this special system that, you know, opens and closes during certain points. Okay. Well, that's kind of neat. They get to go a little faster. Crazy. Um, you know, uh, something happens to where a driver passes for the lead. Well, he's got to give it back. I'm like, well, what happened? He passed him. Why does he got to give the lead back? Okay. Well, he did it this way. So I'm starting to gain this better understanding of it. And I'm kind of like, this might be kind of cool. Um, so over the course of that season, I kind of, you know, I was probably text messaging my dad and my brother multiple times a week of like, I just heard this, I read this, like, this is really cool. Oh, there's this really cool show on Netflix called Drive to Survive, where you can watch it and they talk about the driver's lives. And so I started watching that. And um, I'm not up here endorsing or recommending you watch it just because all these drivers, like English is a second language to them, and I'm pretty sure they learn the language by learning every curse word first, and then they learn the rest. So this is not a full-on endorsement of the show. Um, but it was cool because I got more of a background understanding of it. So as I kind of got into it, got deeper into it, 
it just got more and more enjoyable for me. And there's these massive strategies that go along with it. And, you know, a pit stop may seem kind of silly, like, oh, they got to get new tires. But they've got to time that right because maybe they can come out in front of somebody. Or if they do it the other way around and pit after them, they can then come out in front of them. So there's all these cool little strategies that happen that you don't notice if you just kind of turn on the TV and watch it for the first time. So it's made it way more enjoyable for me. Also, Side note, I was fortunate that the racer that my dad and my brother loved to watch, the season I started watching and following him, won the whole thing, and it's just been winning ever since. So that was very exciting for me. I got to pick a winner right off the bat. Um, uh, in case you're wondering, it's Max Verstappen. Our family is Dutch, and we kind of say if you're, not, if you're not Dutch, you're not much. So, you know, just, you know, I'm in West Michigan, so that's fairly safe to say. Um, <laughs> But with any sports or hobbies, if you know, I love football as well. We've talked about that. I've talked about that up front here before. You know, baseball, like I've always found baseball to be kind of slow, you know, but I'm sure, you know, you talk to real baseball fans and they'll tell you there's all these different intricacies. You know, any hobby you pick up um, may seem kind of boring or nerdy from the outside, um, but the more you understand it and the more you start to get into it, the more of an enjoyable thing it becomes for you and a deeper part of your life that it becomes. So the question I kind of want to start out with today and kind of go over throughout um, this morning is, do we have a desire to seek and understand what Jesus actually says when it comes to our lives? So are we looking to understand how we can live a life of, of holy living instead of living as the world lives? Do we desire to have true, deep loving relationships with those God's put in our lives and not just kind of like having surface acquaintances. Um, desire for a healthy lifestyle over just like binging on different temptations that come into our lives. Um, because gaining a high level of understanding of a sport can bring, bring more enjoyment for us. Um, but what we want to focus on is are we having that same drive to understand God and his love for us. And so the kind of the point and the first thing you can kind of jot down if you're taking notes is a true and deep understanding of God's love and power leads to action. So most of us sitting here today probably understand that God loves us. What we're going to get into today is how deep and strong that love is and what that should lead us to do in our own walk with Christ. So if you have your Bibles or if you've got your mobile devices with a scripture app, um, if you could turn to Matthew chapter 13. Um, if you're new to filing through a Bible, um, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. So feel free to bring that up. We're in chapter 13, and we're in verses 47 through 50. So this is the parable of the net, or it's also known as the drag net. So I was joking with Kyle the other day. I'm like, all right, cool. I get to preach. And it's like, all right, you get to preach about the parable of a drag net. And I'm like, isn't that an old show or something? I don't, what do you mean the drag net? I'm like, I don't, but here we are and let's do it. So what we see here in verse 47, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And so what I love is, once again, we're right here with the kingdom of heaven is. 
So right there, we should stop and be like, all right, we've got to understand what Jesus is saying here. Because we, as Christians, desire to be with God, to be a part of his kingdom. So right off the bat, the kingdom of heaven is a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, right away we talk about a net or a dragnet. Now, I don't know about you guys, I'm not a fisherman in any sense. When I think of fishing though, I think of you know casting a reel, pulling in a fish. So when we start talking about this huge net and how we fish, um, we've got a slide here with a picture where we can get kind of an idea of what we're looking at. So it's this massive net, um, circular net with a cord that would close the opening and trap the fish. Um, this was actually the method that Peter and Andrew were using when Christ called them to follow him, which was earlier in Matthew. The dragnet referred to here in the Bible is known today as a trawl net. Didn't know that. In Christ's time, these long and wide nets could reach up to half a mile wide. They would be attached behind one or more boats. You don't see that here, but they could attach them to boats. As the boats moved through the water, the dragnet would catch everything in its way. So the style of fishing I'm used to thinking of is you kind of cast a reel, pull in a fish, hope you get something good. Maybe you're looking for a specific kind of fish to catch. Here with the dragnet, they're just pulling it in, and they're going to grab anything and everything that gets caught within that net. Most of these times, most of the time, these nets um, were there one moment and gone the next. They moved at the determination of the vessel's captain. The net travels first through one part of the sea, then through another. It may be here today and somewhere else tomorrow. Such a net could bring in any size or kind of fish, unclean or clean, living or dead. Um, I think there's another slide of another example of a drag net. So you can just see this huge, massive net that's just going to pull in everything in its way. And so when we, kinda, when we start into this passage, what stuck out to me is it's kind of broken up into two different parts. So we've got the first part, the first kind of job that you see here with this dragnet. And that's what we see here, is we need the people that are casting the net out and dragging it in. And so what does it look like for us to be net casters? So is that sharing our faith? Is that inviting someone into the presence of God? Um, that could be as simple as inviting them to church, um, living out your own Christian walk in your job and not compromising in that. Um, it could be inviting them to join a small group and be a part of that with you. But, you know, in what ways can we in our own lives be netcasters? Um, for some of us, or if we're honest, probably for a lot of us, this idea of being a netcaster is scary. It can be very uncomfortable. Now, I am up here preaching. I'll tell you, if I'm honest, being able to be up in front of a group of people, for me, if you look back on my past, is 
a miracle in itself for me. One of the first times that I ever got up on stage was when I was a little kid. I think I was supposed to read a short verse for something at church. And I stepped up to the mic and then just started bawling. Um, so to come from that, that level of stage fright to be able to be up here and to share about Jesus, for me, is a miracle in itself. But it's still a scary thing to be able to share um, when those opportunities present themselves. Um, I've recently, it seems like, had these different opportunities where it's almost like God has forced me to start to do it so that I can share about it. I had a moment at a gas station not too long ago. Um, when I first came to Story, I got to be a part of Pastor Appreciation, which was crazy because I had just shown up here. Um, and it was really cool, but they made me this really cool hoodie, and it actually says pastor on it, most valuable pastor. And so I was wearing that at the gas station and didn't think about, you know, I just had it on. And somebody walked up to me and they're like, are you a pastor? And I kind of went, uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. It says it on my coat. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I am a pastor. So I got to tell them, you know, it's kind of, and it, you know, there is, is even that moment to where you kind of, the instinct is like, ah, sure, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. But no, I got to be able to say, yeah, I'm a pastor, I'm a resident, I've started at, you know, this church that's not too far from here. You know, that was the end of the interaction, nothing crazy, but it was a moment where the Holy Spirit got to prompt me to do more than what I think my, my inner um, scared soul wanted to do. There was another moment we'd had a youth night at Versluce Lake. We combined with Frontline, and we met up out there and just brought the kids to the beach. Simple night. Um, I had just randomly grabbed one of the many shirts that Frontline has given me over the years, threw it on, wore it to the beach. Um, a guy comes walking up to me randomly in the parking lot and is like, Frontline. I was like, yeah, Frontline. Like, all right. Um, and he said, yeah. Like, and he, he mentioned something about cars and this. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking. But he had this tone of like he was irritated with something. And so what I think he was referring to was they used to do this car show at Frontline. I think he had some mistake about what this was, or I never really got to really get into it because I was super confused by what was even going on, um, but they moved on. Fast forward like 10 minutes later, we're down at the beach, you know, we're watching the kids play around in the, in the lake, and this guy starts walking down the beach to me. And I was just like, oh, hey. And he's like, hey. I just wanted to apologize. He's like, my problem is with like stuff that's happened at the church in the past. It's not with some random guy at the beach. And I was like, okay, well, like, it's okay, you know. And I got to kind of just have this conversation with him once again. I got to say, hey, yeah, my shirt says Frontline. Um, Kyle just hasn't given me enough shirts that say Story, so I don't, you know. Um, someday I'll be cool enough to get more. Uh, no. Church merchandise is a whole nother sermon. Um, <laughs> stewards of God's money. No. Um, but yeah, so I got to tell him, like, yeah, I'm here with Frontline, with their youth group. I'm the student pastor at a church called The Story. And he's like, I've heard of it. I was like, oh, cool. I was like, you should come sometime. And he told me his name. You know, I said, what's your name? And, you know. And I, you know, and that was kind of the end of our interaction. But it's kind of like it's weighed on me for a while. It was one of those things where I got to have this cool interaction with this guy, and he got to sh briefly share with me that he has had troubles in the past with the church. Now, not with God, but with the church. The church has hurt him. 
And I got to tell him, I know, I've been there. It's, you know, the church can be great and it, it can also hurt, but that in general is not God. You know, God can use the church in such amazing ways, but the church is full of people and sometimes those people make mistakes. So I got to just kind of share with him, like, hey, I'm okay, I'm not hurt by what you said, like, I, it's okay. And so, we, you know, I've, I've had that on my mind for, since then, I've been praying about it. Um, but what, what I kind of kicked myself with afterward is I've never been good at being that person, and I know these people, that will instantly just feel that prompt on them to be like, let me pray with you. And so afterward, I was kind of kicking myself, like, that was an opportunity. Like, why wasn't I listening to the Spirit? Um, but it was still a neat interaction that I got to have and kind of got forced out of my comfort zone to be able to start to to openly talk about God and, and why I serve God. Um, but I do share in the uncomfortableness of that, what that can handle some, or what that can bring sometimes. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to try to push past that. I mean, we serve a powerful God, and, and that net casting comes from the understanding that we need to love others the same way that God loves us. So God has loved us. A lot of us consider ourselves Christians and saved. And so if we're there and we've been able to experience that, the next step is for us to then start to cast that net to anyone and everyone that needs it. Um, if you wouldn't mind going a few more books later in the, in the New Testament, we're going to jump into James, into chapter 4. verses 11 and 12. So when we talk about God's love and how we understand that, for the most part, we understand that God loves us. But what I want to look at is what that love should do for us. It says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it but sitting in judgment on it. So my understanding on this scripture, I think the gist of it, is when we fail to love, we're breaking God's law. So it's not just a, well, I'll love somebody if they love me, or when it's convenient, or I'll share about God when I think this person finally deserves it. But when we, we refuse or we don't share God's love with others, we see here in James that we're breaking God's law. So the questions that kind of come from that for me are, in your life, are you building others up through God's love or breaking them down and making them feel unworthy of his love? And then I take that a step further, and maybe you're here and someone's done that to you. Maybe you feel unworthy of God's love because of the way someone's beat you down and made you feel unworthy of God's love. And here's what I want to tell you. They were wrong. They were in violation of God's law. So there's that two parts to that. 
Like, we're loved by God, so we need to share that. The other part of it is, if you don't feel worthy of God's love because of something someone's done somewhere, that's wrong. Because God does love you. And they made a mistake. So what we can kind of look at in that is, you know, maybe you've set aside a certain group of people because you just thought they're too far gone for God's love. So even if God brings me into an opportunity to share his love with them, what's the point? I don't want to waste my time. Maybe you've just been scared to share your own story. What's amazing is if you're sitting here today and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have a story. I've heard people say, like, well, I had a stereotypical Christian, you know, upbringing. It's not this crazy, like, you know, I was homeless on the streets and addicted to every drug you can think of, and then God saved me. Like, even if that's not your story, if you just have a story of times where God has worked in your life and you've experienced his love, you have a story that you can share. And so maybe you've just thought my story isn't worth sharing with somebody. And that's kept you from being that netcaster. Or maybe you've just felt cast aside by someone involved in the church and felt unworthy of God's love. Um, like I said earlier, like that's not the case. You're not unworthy of God's love. So when we have an understanding of God's power to save us, it leads to the action of casting the net. And then actually I was, I was looking over this last night to kind of prepare for today, and I'd already sent my slides. And so I added a little snippet on there that in accepting, and it's also understanding of God's power leads to the action of accepting that you're in that net. If you're here today, if you're watching online, someone's cast a net, and you're there, even if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you're, you've been cast, you know, someone's cast that net and caught you. And when we understand how deeply God loves us, then we can understand that we are there and we are in that net. So the second part of the scriptures that we see is there's a second part to it of the sorting. So the fishermen cast the nets. They pull everything up that gets caught in that net, and then there's a job of sorting out the fish. Um, and for a lot of us, that sorting part seems like that would be the easy part. Um, to look at somebody and just say, ooh, unclean, I don't do that, so that must make them unclean, or they do this. And so that sorting is almost like that natural tendency for us. Um, but let, let me read this to you a minute. Actually, first off, I want to jump into something else. So I've told you before, the student pastor in me loves a good visual aid. So I had to stop by Meyer and get a little fish. <laughs> so I will share, I am, I follow a Instagram page that is like horror stories of youth ministry. <laughs> and so... I got the idea for my illustration from it, but I'm not going to take it quite as extreme as they did because they said um, a pastor, a student pastor, was literally preaching about the dragnet, and he took a fish, he put it in a blender, 
Yeah, exactly. I want to keep my job. Um, but he proceeded to say, this fish represents those people. These goldfish, he had goldfish in a blender. They represent the people that God's brought in your life. And when you don't share God's scripture, when you don't share God's love for them, this is what happens. And he turned on the blender and blended them. Um, yeah, so like I said, it was a failure of youth ministry, you know, Paige. So I figured I probably shouldn't use that illustration. Um, but I was talking this over with Kyle, and he looked at me, and he said, what does a wicked fish look like? God, just and wicked. I mean, this is just an, a beta fish you buy from Myers. I mean, does it look wicked? I mean... Can you tell? I can't. I don't know if this fish has evil thoughts. If I let it out, is it going to hurt me? Um, it's silly, but how often do we do that with each other? We'll look at somebody and we'll just decide, nope, probably a little too far gone. So it's that sorting that we want to do. Is We want to sort things out. We want to decide that, oh, Whatever this guy's name is, he's evil. He's probably our new youth group pet now that I've bought him and I just can't toss him out. Um, so we'll come up with a name for him later, I'm sure. Um, but so often we'll do that. And I'm telling you right now, if I just dumped this fish out and stepped on it, you guys would be horrified. But I said, that I thought this fish was evil, so I want to squish it. Also, whoever had to clean up after me would be real mad at me. Um, but how often do we do that with just anybody that comes into our lives and we decide they're not worthy, I'm going to sort them out. But what we see is this is not simply a division between the good and the bad. For then there would only be one good. And I'm sure you know who that is, Jesus Christ. If we're trying to sort out everybody that we come in contact with to good and bad, we all end up over here on the bad side. Because Jesus was the only true, good, just person. Based on the rest of Scripture, we can say that the just are those who have been justified by a true and living faith. These just are as wicked as the rest by nature. However, they have been cleared before God because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross offered on their behalf. So the only way that we can be considered a good fish, a just fish, is through the sacrifice of Christ. So what is the result of rejecting that? That God loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us, to raise from the grave three days later, so that we can have eternal life with him. What's the result of rejecting that? So whether it's for you, if you reject it, or somebody else that you're in contact with, that you've kind of tried to cast the net and they're just not seeming to click with it, what's the result of that? Well, it says right in here, um, it's hell. And hell is a doctrine that many have tried to eliminate from the Bible. There's more people out there that will say that they believe in heaven than actually believe in hell. And most people that believe there is a hell don't think they're going there. Um, however, Christ is teaching right here in this parable that hell is the result of rejecting this. In verse 50, 
and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Here, and also many other places in Bible, Christ is very open and speaks very graphic about what the results of hell are. Um, Jesus actually talks more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. And so when I was preparing for this message, nobody wants to get up front and kind of preach kind of like the doom and gloom message, the like turn or burn kind of type of thing. But I felt like if Christ felt the need to constantly warn us of what the results of rejecting him is, then I need to be willing to share that as well. Um, you know, we, we read that hell is a place that is horrible. Um, you know, we heard the gnashing of teeth and, and, and just the fire and torment. Um, unless we free from that, flee from that wrath to come, um, that's the, the remedy of that. But when we really think about the worst part of what hell is, it's that eternal separation from God. It's something that I don't think we very often think about, but if you really think deep about it, you can probably think of times, like we talk about, like, yeah, I had this experience. It was almost like I felt heaven right here on earth, and we have these amazing moments where we feel the presence of God, and I truly believe that the opposite of that can happen to where we can have moments that we feel so separated from God and we're just in such a struggle that we can hardly feel the presence of God. And to me, that is almost like a small snippet of what hell on earth truly is. Like we'll go through something tough or something bad will happen. We're like, whew, that was, that was just hell on earth for me, you know? But when we truly think about it, like I, I've shared before with my daughter and her own journey through cancer, like there were moments where I struggled to, to focus on God. And it's just like, it's this tiny, innocent child. She has cancer. She has to go through all this stuff. I'm not feeling, yeah, I'm not feeling it, God. And I allowed myself just to kind of separate from his love. And it's, to me, it's the closest that I want to ever be to experiencing what hell is and feeling that lack of God's presence. And while it may feel, see, it may, seem it may feel easier for us to want to do the job of sorting like hey look at these people they'll they'll never understand god like you know i just want to be around these people um they get it um when it comes down to it do we really want the job and the task of deciding who deserves hell to condemning people to hell there's a quote that I came across a while back that I wanted to share. I'll put it up on the screen here. Um, but what it says is, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? So you can add to that, not only is everlasting life possible, but if you reject that, if you don't ever accept that, the... The result is eternity and hell separated from God. What's crazy about this quote is it's actually from the magician Penn Gillette, who's actually a very well-known atheist. And he's talking about how some atheists will get upset if you want to talk about God. But for him, he's, he's lost a ton of respect 
for Christians because of basically what he's saying here. Like you truly believe deep down in your heart that there's a chance for eternal life with God and you're not willing to share that with somebody, you must really not like them. And for me, for that to come from somebody who is a known atheist and doesn't believe in God, you know, that, that hit hard for me. And what we understand here is the righteous in this parable will avoid hell because of the perfect righteousness of Christ, who has endured hell for them. Many think the doctrine of hell goes against the idea of a loving God. But on the contrary, like I said, Jesus is sharing over and over again and warning what the result of rejecting him is. Now, as a parent, we will warn our children about the dangers of fire. Like, I, I grew up in kind of like what we call the country, you know, of Kent City, way far away. Um, um, but, you know, you like to have campfires, and I'll do that with my, my two girls. And it's like right away, the first thing you do, if they want to put a stick in the fire, you're warning them, like, that's going to hurt. You get burnt, that's going to hurt. Be careful. Be safe. I was willing to do a, a bonfire here with the students. The whole time, it's like, stop putting the sticks in the fire and taking them back out, guys. Like, it's going to be dangerous. Like, we warn about that constantly. And that is what Jesus is doing here. As our Heavenly Father, he's warning us of the ultimate suffering that will happen if we reject him. And so what we learn is the understanding of God's love for us leads to the action of casting a wide net and then leaving the sorting up to God. Now for me, in my life, I'm thankful that early on in my childhood, somebody was willing to time and time again cast that net. I was able to be a part of this cool little children's program. It's called Awana. And there was a lady there. We called her Grandma Livesey. And she would teach the story each and every um, night, Monday night at, at Awana. And that is where I finally understood who God was and what it meant for me to accept him. And that is because she was constantly showing up and doing the work and casting the net. Now, once I was in the net, I'd love to say it's just been, boom, perfect, smooth sailing ever since then, and I've lived a great Christian life, but I've had my struggles. And when I was going through this, I kind of pictured of it as like, you've got this huge net, like talking like half a mile wide, and I'm that fish that's swimming as far out in that net as they can, trying to pop back out of it thinking that I was too far gone, I had made too many mistakes, and not understanding that I was still in the net, a part of God's kingdom, and I'm thankful for the people that were willing to keep pulling that net in and pulling me in when I thought that I was too far gone. They helped me understand that what I was leaning toward, what I was driving toward, was just an absence of God in a life lived without him. So, when I was working through this, I kind of came up with a few different actions that I think we can take today, no matter who we are here today, as a result of this. You're here because somebody cast a net. Somebody was a net caster 
and you're here or you're watching online because somebody played that role in your life. You're a part of God's kingdom. If a true and deep understanding of God's love and power leads to action, what action do you need to take today? And the first is if you've just never had that opportunity or never taken that opportunity to accept Christ into your life and start that journey with him. There's no magic words that you need to say. It's not like say this prayer this exact way or it's wrong. It's just an understanding that you're a sinner and you need Christ's forgiveness and you believe what he did for you can save you and give you that eternal life someday with him. And even like I said, experiencing his presence here on earth. So if you've never done that, there's no better time than now. And shortly I'm going to pray us out, or pray us into our final song, um, and I'll give you the opportunity to kind of do that as well. The second would just be to rededicate yourself to Christ. Rededicate yourself to being a netcaster. Figure out what it is that you can do to start to cast that net and bring people into Christ and give him the opportunity to do what only he can do. That might be inviting them to a service on Sunday. That might just be continuing to live a good Christian life at your workplace. And when the opportunity arises, you talk about God. It may be inviting someone to a small group. It may be starting a small group of that you know a group of people that would want to get together with you somewhere and you can have that opportunity to talk about Christ. But rededicate yourself to him and the opportunities that he gives you to share his love for others. And the last action is one that I think we sometimes kind of cast aside a little bit. But I know there are people here. I know there was a Sunday where there were names all over the stage of people that are in your lives that need Christ. And you've been working on that for a long time. You've been praying for them. You've been loving them. You've been doing it. You've cast that net and they're there. And so I think the action that you can take today is to just take a deep breath and understand that God's got them and that God is the one who will ultimately save them. That job's not up to you. You're doing your job. You're doing what Christ has asked you to do. So take peace in that and understand that God is the one who will do the hard work if you just continue praying and doing what you're doing and sharing Christ with that person or those people that you've just continued to share who he is with. So if you would bow your heads, close your eyes, I'd just like to pray for us. God, first I just want to just praise you for who you are and just the, the power that your love has to save and to change, Lord, is so strong and I'm so thankful for it. And right now, Lord, I want to take a moment that if there's anyone here who has not accepted you as their Savior, Lord, whether they're here in this room or they're watching this online now or later, Lord, but if they've never accepted you as their Savior and understood what it means to live a life knowing they're saved by you and any sin that they've committed or ever will commit, Lord, you've taken care of, Lord, that I pray that you will 
place it on their hearts now, Lord, to just take a moment and just say a simple prayer, Lord. Something along the lines of, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've, I've lived a life that is unjust because everybody is in that boat, Lord. But what you did for me, what you did on the cross when you took on my sins, that is what gives me the opportunity to be just, to be a good fish, Lord. And I, and I want to do that now. And I want to be one of your children, God. And there's others here that just know that they need to just feel that, that rededication to, to reaching out and to, to throwing that net out and bringing people into your kingdom, Lord. I know recently myself, I had that moment when we were away at camp with the students, Lord, where it was just student ministry can be a struggle at times, Lord, but you gave me that moment and opportunity to rededicate myself to that, to reaching lost students, Lord. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that feels like they just need to come before you and say, Lord, I've struggled. I've not done it. I've spent all my time rejecting people and thinking they're never going to get it. But now I want to switch that and I want to be open to those opportunities. I want to feel when the Holy Spirit prompts me to share you with somebody, Lord. I pray that they will just take a moment to say that to you, to rededicate their lives to you, Lord and bringing people into the kingdom. And I pray for those this morning that have been doing the good work, Lord, that have been, have been working so hard to share who you are with the people that are in their lives, Lord. I pray that you will continue to give them the strength, give them your power to continue to love on those people, Lord, and to continue to pray for them and bring them to you, Lord, and allow you to do the hard work of saving them, Lord.